Hey, good morning and Merry Christmas and a warm welcome to those of you in the lobby as well. Uh, man, what an awesome opportunity to worship together in this season and be served hot chocolate with peppermint syrup, which basically is like me drinking sugar water right before I preach. So if my heart doesn't give out, this is going to be a great service. Hey, what do you do when God asks you to do something that you don't know if you can do? What do you do when he asks you or calls you to something and you're not sure you have the strength to do it? This is the question my father faced when, as his father aged and became ailing, God was prompting him to care for his father. See, his, his father was abusive. My dad grew up in an abusive home. My grandfather claimed to be Christian, but it was kind of in name only. They went to church on Sunday, but who my grandfather was throughout the week was something completely different. Consequently, my dad is the only child who became a believer. All the other kids wanted nothing to do with what they saw. And when my grandfather's health started to fail, and all the other kids backed off, not wanting anything to do with this man. It was God who prompted my father to do something that he wasn't sure he could do or wanted to do or had the strength to do. What do you do when God calls you to do something and you don't know if you have the strength to do it? Seems to me this is the question that was subject to Joseph in the Christmas story. Even Joseph had to wrestle with this question as God put him in a position with a, a young girl he'd been engaged to marry. They were on their way to the wedding day until she shows up and tells him that an angel has visited. She's pregnant, but it's not what you think. And in this moment, God begins to prompt Joseph to do something that he's not sure he can do. Not sure he has the strength to do Maybe not even sure he wants to do. How do you walk this road when God calls you to something like that? What we're going to see this week as we go back to the Christmas story is we'll see the truth that God absolutely can be trusted with the places that he calls us to and the things that he calls us to do. And we see that in the life of Joseph. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew's in the New Testament about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one on the seat in front of you. Grab it or power on whatever device you use. Pull up Matthew chapter 1. If you have neither of those things, watch the screens. You'll be able to follow along with us in a moment. Matthew records for us the beginning of the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective. We looked a few times now at the Gospel of Luke, which is from Mary's perspective. And we'll see a contrast now in what God calls each of these individuals to do. Matthew writes this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. 
which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So Matthew opens in this story from Joseph's perspective, saying in verse 18 that when his mother, Mary, who'd been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, was found to be with child. There's so much packed in that one verse. Scholars tell us that at this juncture, when Mary's found to be with child, and, and Joseph comes to understand this, Mary's likely three to four months pregnant by this point. How do we know that? Well, the gospel according to Luke gives us Mary's journey in this story. Luke tells us that in Mary's journey, the angel visits Mary, tells her that she's going to bear a child through the Holy Spirit, and she receives this, worships God in this. But right after that, Luke says that Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, her relative, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. And Luke says that Mary went and stayed with Elizabeth for three months. Now begin to picture the scene from Joseph's side of the story. As Matthew tells from Joseph's perspective, Joseph is engaged to this woman, betrothed to her, but before they came together, she was found to be with child. This woman, he was engaged to marry. At some point in their engagement, TDY'd up to visit Elizabeth for three months. And coming back after being gone from her fiancé for three months, it is found that she is pregnant. Now, what is Joseph supposed to conclude? This woman that he loves, this woman that he's been pledged to marry, gone for three months, returns, and he comes to find out she's pregnant. We don't know how he comes to find out. We presume, because of Mary's character, that she comes back and tells him, hey, I'm pregnant, an angel visited me and told me that. It's not what you think. But Joseph, with all that he understands of the world and all that he understands of biology, is left with this gap, this three-month gap where he hasn't been with his wife, the one that he's betrothed to. He's not even been in the same city, and she returns prego. What do you do when God calls you then to do something that you're not sure that you can do or want to do or have the strength to do? Last week, we talked about betrothal. It was a huge deal. They were legally married, though they had not physically come together yet. Because they were legally married, for Mary to be found with child at this point then is akin to adultery. Because they were legally married, then to walk away from Mary would require Joseph to legally divorce her. Because they were legally married, and this would require a legal divorce, this would have to be done at the city gates with the elders and the leaders, which means that all of this would become public information. And the public would know then and presume that Mary had committed adultery. And because this is a deeply spiritual community which understands the law of God, their hearts and minds would go back to the Old Testament law in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, which says that the punishment for adultery is death. You see now the position that God has put Joseph in. 
His decision will determine Mary's fate in a very real way. His position will determine, and his decision will determine the child that she's carrying. And it's here that Joseph is is convicted and wrestles. It says in verse 19, her husband, there again you see the legality of this, though they'd not come together physically, they're considered husband and wife in the eyes of the community. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This word just, we think justice We think of of justice taking course, of getting our our revenge or just desserts. But in the Greek, the just here literally means righteous. Joseph was a righteous man, which means he bears the heart of God, the compassion of God. He has walked with God, and this walking with God will now be on display. Because in this moment, he has compassion on Mary, either because of his love for her simply because of his love, maybe for the Lord. Part of him wants to believe her, but maybe he doesn't know if he can stay married to her, but he resolves in his heart to divorce her quietly, which is mercifully. Think about this moment. Joseph had every right to divorce her. He's presuming at this point, left with with little to believe but the fact that she somehow was with another man while away for three months. He has every right to defend his own honor because if he doesn't divorce her, what is the community left to believe? It was Joseph. And now you're marrying her to do the right thing, to take responsibility for this child that's yours. Joseph has every right to stand up for his own reputation, to separate from this woman, to publicly make it known so that his reputation is left intact. He has every right to uphold the Old Testament law and call for her punishment according to that law. And yet in this moment, Joseph isn't just just. In the legal sense, he is righteous in the godly sense. He's not just focused on the law. His heart is moved for Mary. This is a gospel moment in the story, a gospel moment. Joseph's heart and Joseph's response to Mary gives us and reminds us of God's heart and God's response to us. For who we were when we were deserving of death, when we were deserving to be cast off, God instead drew near by sending his son. And God instead put the weight of our sin and the weight of all of his wrath on Jesus that we might be freed, that we might be redeemed. We see here a glimpse of the gospel in Joseph's decision in his heart, wanting to do the right thing, wanting Mary not to be punished in that way. Because he was righteous, he bore a component of God's compassion for this woman. See, it begs the question in this moment, as we reflect our lives compared to Joseph's, are we seeking to be religious or are we seeking to be righteous in our dealings with other people? Religious in the strict sense of the term, where we're worried about right and wrong and who's behaving badly. Do we seek to be religious or righteous in our dealings with other people? Because Joseph was a righteous man, he sought to be righteous in his dealings, compassionate, merciful. He desired to honor Mary as best as he could. 
The question is, when people hurt you, when people gossip about you, when people take advantage of us or just cut in front of us in, in the line, steal the parking spot from us at the forum when we're trying to Christmas shop joyfully, what's our response? See, in my flesh, so often, my response is flesh. It's a response of justice, and I cry out to God in a very religious sense of the term. I pray, all, I pray all the wrong prayers of David, right? Like, smite mine enemy, right? Like, Lord, would a, would a police officer see this person cutting in right now, cutting me off in traffic? I, I had someone after first service, like, you, you talk about traffic a lot. <laughs> yes, I do have problems. And if you don't have a problem having been on I-35 in the Christmas season, I don't know what's wrong with you, right? <laughs> I mean, it's in these moments when things don't go our way, when, when people disrupt and interrupt and cut us off or say things about us, when the boss doesn't treat us fairly as we define the term fairly, that we find ourselves frustrated. And I find myself, if I'm being honest, I get religious in those moments, right? I want justice, but in all the ways that my flesh wants it. And Joseph in this moment wrestles. And because he's righteous in his walk with God, he seeks to honor a woman that he has every right, every right to push against. It's a little sneak peek a little glimpse, a ray of light of the gospel coming through even before Jesus arrives on the scene that though we were deserving of death, God was gracious, God was righteous. He put his wrath on Jesus' shoulders that we might be redeemed and spared. But then the angel forces him to reconsider as he considers these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. As he was considering these things, because Joseph was more than just religious, because he was righteous, he had a right walk with God, he was open to God redirecting him. He was open to God's input on what he should do in this difficult place and difficult position. And he receives this redirection. The angel comes, says that as he's considering these things, which means he hadn't yet decided. There's this angst in him. He's longing to do the right thing, but he doesn't know what the right thing is. Ever been there? And the angel says to him in verse 20, do not fear. Interesting way to start the conversation. Do not fear. Why? Because Joseph, I'm sure in this moment, has all of these fears running through his mind. The fear of his own reputation. If I marry her, what will people say about me? What will they presume or suspect about me? He has a fear of Mary's faithfulness or unfaithfulness. Is this the truth or not? Am I just going to be a sucker if I marry her? 
He has the fear of people's reactions, of his own family's reactions. He has the fear of the future and how will this play out and what will come of our lives if I choose to do this. In the midst of this, the angel then says, do not fear. Joseph needed to be told not to fear because taking Mary as his wife would be costly. And sometimes God calls us to things that are personally costly. The question is, do we trust him in those moments? Think of the personal cost in this moment for Joseph. If he goes through with this, he must convince his family that all of this is not crazy. And knowing that he would be unlikely to convince them that the Holy Spirit is the one responsible for Mary's pregnancy, he likely faces the proposition that his family will not throw them a wedding. There won't be wedding gifts. And what does a young couple do without wedding gifts? Where do you get a toaster otherwise? I mean, think there's a financial cost to this. In this day and age, they counted on the community helping them to get started in life. There's a relational cost. Not only would family members move away from them, but friends would be like, ah, Joseph, I don't know Joseph. That's not the Joseph that I know. The Joseph I know wouldn't have done that. Not only that, in a deeply spiritual community like this, seeking to follow the Old Testament law, they would have shied away from association with anyone who is not following that same law which means Joseph, as a carpenter, would likely lose business. Who wants to do business with a guy who lies about this girl? I don't know if I can trust you in a business deal. This was incredibly costly for Joseph. God was calling him to something that he was struggling to know if he could do, if he had the strength to do. Marrying her would make Joseph look guilty which is exactly why God told him not to fear. Because over and over through the scriptures, one of the the most repeated promises or one of the most repeated commands to us in the scriptures is do not fear. And in this moment, God is reminding him, if I am for you, nothing can stand against you. You let me worry about that. Not only is he being asked to marry her, the reality is he's not being asked to marry her reluctantly, but rather Joseph is being asked to play a part. Look again at what God is asking of him. The angel says to him in verse 21 that you, you shall call his name Jesus. Joseph, you can't just stand on the sidelines. You you can't wait until after the baby comes. I want you to play a part too. And you will take the part that the man takes in this culture of naming the firstborn son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves. Joseph is being called not to be a passive or reluctant observer to what God is doing, but rather an actively obedient participant. And there's a huge difference between those two, and I often find myself vacillating between those. So often when God asks me to do things that I'm not sure I want to do or that are costly for me, I will begrudgingly go. I will be a passive or reluctant participant in God's plan. I will say things to God like, well, if this is what you're doing, then fine. I'm not going to like it, but I guess I have no choice to go along with it. And I may not say that downright verbally to God, 
but my heart is reluctant. When God asks me to give, and I'm not sure that I want to give, because of the time of year, because of the way my bank account looks, I find my heart is far more of the passive and reluctant participant than it is the actively obedient, joyfully giving, worshipfully surrendered participant. God, if you want me to give, then certainly not going to be more than this number. Oh, how often when God calls us to do things, we go reluctantly. But God was calling Joseph to be active in his obedience. You shall name him. And look at how Joseph responds, verses 24 and 25. It says in verse 24 that when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Three times in these two little verses, you see the action of Joseph. You see the obedience of his life. Because he was a righteous man, he woke and he did. He took, but he knew her not, and he called his name Jesus. There was no hesitation. There was no question. There was just obedience because he was righteous in God's sight. And Joseph, because of this, would soon discover that this difficult calling had a divine purpose. This difficult calling was for a profound purpose. By following and trusting God in this, this child would become the very vehicle for Joseph's own redemption, his own salvation, because he was willing, because he trusted God with the places that he called him to go and the things that he called him to do. What I've come to discover in my own life is that often it is the hard things, the hardest things that God uses the most for my growth and godliness. It's rarely the easy things that God calls me to that grow me the most, that reveal the most about his character or mine for that matter. It's always the hard things. And yet time and time again in my life, I've seen when God has called me to hard things and I've trusted him and I've followed him, that he has been faithful. And that's when I learn the most about God and his faithfulness. I learn the most about God and his character and God and his sovereignty. And yet for whatever reason, though I can look with hindsight at my life and tell you story after story after story of all the hard things God has done and how it has grown me, it never fails that the next time around the corner when I discover the road is not straight, but actually difficult, it's winding and there's speed bumps, and God has called me yet to something else difficult, it's in that moment that I struggle to believe and I struggle to follow. I struggle to enter joyfully. I often go in reluctantly. Though God has proven himself time and time again, so often I resist the places that he calls me to go and the things that he calls me to do. The question out of this and the question out of Joseph's life that we're forced to ask, that we're faced with as we close, is a simple question. Do we trust the places that God calls us to go? And do we trust God with the things that he calls us to do? Do we trust God with the places he calls us to go and the things that he calls us to do? Maybe right now, 
the hard thing in your life is trusting God with what's changed in your career. And maybe this wasn't the path that you envisioned yourself on at this age, at this stage. Maybe it's a matter of income. Maybe it's a matter of of the timetable and retirement and how much by when. Maybe you thought you'd be further up the ladder or on a different ladder against a different wall altogether. Or maybe you found in this season that God has just removed career altogether. And maybe the hard thing is trusting God with this place that he's called you and this thing he's calling you to do, to keep trusting him, though you cannot see the way forward. Maybe the hard thing right now is trusting God with a relationship that isn't working. And with where that relationship is, you're asking the question if you want to stay in the relationship. Maybe you're asking God permission to leave the relationship, but God is pushing on your heart and convicting you to stay in that relationship, and you don't know if you can, and you don't know if you have the strength. Can you trust God? Maybe the hard thing right now is a child that's rebelling. Maybe it's a family member that's not loving. Maybe the hard thing is the fact that you have to host the in-laws over the next four or five days. It's not lost on me that many of you are visiting Northeast for the very first time this weekend. We're so glad we're here. you're here. The reality is that the holidays are amazing times of joy for many, but also incredibly difficult for many as well. This is a season where we are face-to-face with family members we don't always agree with, we don't always see eye-to-eye with, where we sit down at that dinner table kind of reluctantly Because we know the conversation will inevitably, as it always does, end up here with them saying this. And maybe God's asked you to stay in that relationship because you're the only one that knows Jesus. But you're struggling to want to be there and to know how to respond. See, maybe God has called you to do something and you're not sure that you can do it. And you're not sure you have the strength to do it. Can you trust God with the places that he's called you to and the things that he's called you to do? C.H. Spurgeon would once write this, to trust God in the light is nothing, but to trust him in the dark, that is faith. To trust God when we can see everything clearly and we know the path and we're pretty sure how everything's gonna go, that is, That's one thing, but to trust God when we cannot see how it will work out, when we do not know where the road will lead, and we do not know how he will provide, that is faith. And it took faith for Joseph to trust when God said, do not fear. It took faith for my dad to trust that in caring for a father who would be abusive, it wouldn't just all blow up in his face again. And at first he thought it was as simple as just moving him into a home and keeping a nice, pleasant distance, the buffer that they had always had. And then his father's health ailed even more, failed even more. And then a stroke. And then in the midst of that, it demanded far more of he than he ever could have imagined. And in the midst of showing up and trusting God with the implications, trusting God with his heart, though at times he served and there was never a thank you, but instead a critique, he continued to trust God. 
And it was in those years, in those difficult seasons, when my dad was the only one showing up, that God began a new work of softening a man who for 70 years had been hard. And in the midst of that, my father heard the words that he had never heard before, I love you. And in the midst of that, he heard a thank you that he had never heard before. And in the midst of that, he saw the grace of God in a way that he had never seen before. Do you trust that God can bring grace into that marriage? Do you trust that he can do a work in your career? Do you trust that there is a space for him to work though you feel like everything is dark? God can be trusted. And the beauty of the story of Joseph proves to us that it's often in the hardest things God calls us to that we find the greatest growth and the greatest glimpses of his plan of redemption. Oh, that we would trust him to go there. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media, download our app, or subscribe to our weekly podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.